City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com Welcome into the All Hornets Draft Show. It is the 25th of May. It is under a month to the NBA draft. Chase, how's it going? I'm doing very well. Draft season is in full swing. It's heating up. All the prospect profiles are coming out. Pre-draft workouts. Every single day teams are posting them. We're hearing rumors that come out of them. It's I'm, I'm excited. This is, a, this is a good time of year. It is, a, it is a good time of year. Um, it's also a good time of year because we've still got playoffs going on, which are enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And before we start the podcast, and I said I wish I was recording this, I just asked Chase, uh, what do you think the Celtics' chance are coming, you know, of coming back? And there's obviously Chase living in Maine and doing some work for Maine Celtics. And I, I'll tell people what Chase said. He said if they win tonight, and we're recording this on Thursday evening, he said a very good chance that they're going to come back from 3-0 down to be the – First team in NBA history. He just called yep. that a very good chance if they win tonight. So uh, they could already be out by the time people listen to this, which would be very funny. But you did leave in <laughs> that little preface there of if they win tonight, which they might not. Right. Of course, and of course, you know, if they win tonight, there's a zero percent chance they come back. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna put that in there as well. So then I can at least be right in some way. Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, they said don't let us get one. Definitely don't let them get two. That's all yeah. I gotta say. Because I and- mean. The, the question that Hornets fans are wanting to know is how much longer is Caleb Martin going to be better than Jalen Brown? <laughs> uh, I mean, as a company man, hopefully not very long, but I mean, it is, it is crazy. Uh, this is like one of the best role player playoff yeah. runs ever. I mean, this, this is like Danny this... Green in the finals with the Spurs, you know, when he like, almost, did he win the yeah. finals MVP? I think that one time against the Heat. Or did he? Was he in the running for it? Like he just yeah the, he was yeah he was the, the role running. player the role player who just became actually a key player in the series out of nowhere. Yeah, it is like legitimately insane. He's scoring in every way, making threes, attacking closeouts, cutting to the rim, getting out in transition. Like he rebounds, he defends the other team's best player. Uh, it, it is just absolutely nuts. And like he and this is just in this series. Like he was really good against. New York, or not as much New York, but he was really good against Milwaukee, especially. I mean, he literally hit one of probably the biggest shot of the whole series, a step back in Giannis's face, and then was high step backpedaling down the court doing like the John Cena, you can't see me thing. Like, that is unreal from a role player. That is just ice cold, like ice in my veins, like pure like adrenaline stuff. Like, it is crazy to see him so- do, do all this stuff, given like he was an undrafted free agent for the Hornets in yeah. 2019. Like, And we, we saw social media, right? They were using the punching bag that is the Charlotte Hornets of releasing him. Like you said, tweet, tweeting out the press yep. release, looking at how they kept the wrong Martin brother, all, all that stuff. But let's, let's briefly just revisit that. I mean, at the time, I don't think there was a, like, there was a roster crunch situation. It was between Jaden McDaniels, Caleb Martin, I want to say Wes Uwundu and I think Nick Richards and two of those four had to go. I believe this is what it was. I wrote an article for At The Hive, which unfortunately is no longer there because At The Hive website has moved, shifted after being cut from SB Nation. Um, But two of those four had to go. And at the time, Wes Uwundu was the easy one. The Caleb Martin one was just the, the most obvious after that. Like both guys had shown more to that point. Um, his shot was very much like coming and going. He was not the defender that he is now. Um, like people want to talk back about here. Like everyone knew that Caleb Mark was always going to be good. It was not the case. You want to want me to read some of the replies to this tweet, just to show you how the reaction has changed from in the moment to now. Yeah, like exactly. everybody quote tweeting it. 
dunking on the Hornets, like, oh, they they never do anything right. They always keep all the wrong players. Some of the replies, thanks, man. Best wishes. Thank you, Caleb. These are the good moves. Couldn't thank you enough. W, good. Like, all of the, everyone just in near unanimous approval of this move. And this is obviously just a very small sample size of people on Twitter. But I think if you walked around the streets of Charlotte or anywhere in North Carolina or in the world and just asked any Hornets fan, at, in that time, whether or not they wanted to like re-sign Caleb Martin to a longer-term deal or waive him and move on for another player, they would have said to waive him and move on, and that's what they did. And that's because why at the with, time, with the information we had at the time, right, right, exactly, exactly. Then no, and it's not like he was waived and then was signed to some four-year deal for thirty million dollars from another team because the Hornets were missing something. Miami signed him to a two-way contract. He played on that. Eventually, graduated to a standard NBA deal and is still like one of the lower salary players on their team. So it's not like they, you know, got in right when the Hornets cut him and, you know, gave him all of this money and like put so much stock into him and believed in him. Of course they did do that because they signed him in general, but this is more of a testament to Caleb Martin than anything. Caleb Martin has gotten so much better over the last couple of years. He yep. worked constantly. This is something we've always known about him is that he has a great work ethic. He's always in the gym and clearly it's paying off now. And he, I mean, there's no way to know this without it actually happening, but clearly he has the confidence and he's got he's got enough dog in him to play in the playoffs and go back and forth with anybody and, you know, not think and be conscious about like the types of plays he's making, just be instinctual. And it's working very, very well for him. So well, in the in the year he got cut from Charlotte, he shot 26 percent from three. He shot terribly at 54 percent at the rim. Uh, you know, you look at the numbers, it wasn't a tough decision at the time. He had shown flashes. He had shown flashes and moments where he thought there is a player here, but they were isolated incidents. And when you look to the whole body of work over the season, it was not one that you thought we have to prioritize, you know, releasing other guys who at that point had shown more. But um, look, credit to Caleb Martin. Like he, he has absolutely proved the Charlotte Hornets wrong. That is correct. But I mean, like, we've also seen it before with the Heat. Like, Tyler Johnson, you know, came out of nowhere, was incredible. Hassan Whiteside came out of nowhere. Like, the Heat have this track record of taking these guys on the scrap heap, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, turning them into guys who legit contributors. And they, they can't always, like, replicate that everywhere. Like, that's one thing. I, I don't know if, like, Caleb Martin wasn't great this season for the Heat at all times. He was good at flashes. But at times, he's like, sometimes he's even out the rotation. So let's not pretend here like he has been fantastic from week one this year and it was a complete mistake but credit to that guy because he is like you say he has worked and who would have thought two years ago we were sitting here with cody martin sitting out basically the entire season and caleb martin basically being in the eastern conference finals and probably one of the top three players in the team it is just another thing that says like don't rule out anything from happening in the nba yeah i mean you could make an argument he's been the best player in the entire series on either team in the eastern conference finals so i mean it's just crazy and then we can't forget, obviously, the big stories about Caleb. We can't forget the other former Hornet that's that's in a Eastern Conference Finals rotation right now either. Zella! Cody, friend of the big podcast. Z. It's a long, circuitous route, but he finally got there. He has finally proved... I'm so happy for Cody. ...that he can... He, I mean, he, like... The, 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 he not necessarily had, like, used him as, like, a backup option, but they kind of stumbled upon him being like a a high level contributor because at times Kevin Love wasn't able to stay on the court defensively. They needed someone with a little bit more mobility. It turns out that sacrificing the shooting that Kevin Love can offer you for Cody Zeller's defense and the the finishing that he can offer inside and rebounding works out for them. (laughs) It, It works out. And I mean, he's been playing like double digit minutes a game, scoring, rebounding, he had an and one. This was the most swag I've ever seen him show in his life. Yeah, he hit that and one. He turned around to the camera. What he hit the and one like the ref motion and just like sauntered back to the free throw line. I was like, that man is feeling himself. He is <laughs> that is a confident Cody, Cody Zeller that I have not ever seen. So it, it's good to see him him out there playing well too. So yeah, shout out Cody Zeller, shout out Caleb Martin. But let's move on uh, onto the rest of the podcast topics here. Uh, in the second part of this podcast, we have Matt Bobcock of Draft Digest joining us. Uh, Matt was very generous with his time, gave some fantastic insight, former agent, former scout, 
um, doing some draft content over at Sports Illustrated now. So make sure you listen to that. But before that, uh, we just thought we'd talk some like general draft chit chat, gossipy, leaky stuff, which has come out and about, especially about Brandon Miller over the last 48 hours. Um, and Draft Express released a piece yesterday with a lot of interesting bits of information about uh, Jordan ownership. But let's start with this. Brandon Miller interviewed 12 teams at the Combine. That is not normal. I just want to point out, a, a top three, almost lock pick, interviewing with 12 teams. For me, the reason he did that is because, and it says further on in this article, that there are still ongoing concerns here about this investigation, which I said, legally, he can't say anything about. Um, but apparently there is still some concern that there will be a, a investigation even after draft time that might be a libel suit or someone trying to sue him. So there's still something going on there. But I do wonder if they've done that because his agent is worried that some teams will just label him as a do not draft because of that ongoing legal issue. Do you think that's, do you think that's what, is there any other reason he interviews with 12 teams? I, I, I too was kind of taken aback by that and had in the moment, like zero explanation or reasoning as for why it happened. I, I remember on the last podcast sharing that interviews with prospects are not always, you know, by choice, like the team doesn't choose when and where to conduct interviews and with who the NBA assigns them. But I, I like you said, I don't think they would assign him to 12 different teams as someone who, you know, from a pure talent perspective would in zero scenarios would ever fall outside of the top five. So yeah, I, I was, I was really confused by that as well. And it's certainly a possibility that teams want more information on that too. I like, I, you, like he has made no comment on it. So there's well, really no public. Yeah. Right. There's really in, no in, public. In the article he says, like he basically can't comment on a lot of what happened because it's still an ongoing case. So yeah. he, like, I'm sure all teams are desperate to sit down with him and ask him, and he basically can't comment. And in this very article, it says teams that interviewed Miller in Chicago have privately expressed some concern regarding the fallout that might still come in the form of a potential lawsuit or follow-up investigation with yet to be released details. And we're hoping to get more information directly from him, which is basically code for they did not get that information. And hence why he's spoken to so many people. It also did say, and this is interesting, that the Charlotte will be doing their own investigation into Brandon Miller, that they're going to be launching that. It says Charlotte is planning on sending its attorneys to Tuscaloosa this week. So that was this week right now as we're talking to conduct their own investigation into Miller's involvement in the January 6th shooting. And that Miller will also fly to Charlotte in mid-June for a workout and follow-up interview. I mean, if another Charlotte Hornets investigation, Chase, we could be waiting nine months. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, you can't say they don't do their due diligence. So, I mean, at least. Well, I'm, I'm just, obviously, I said that. No, just no, 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 I, I know you were. I know you were. Yeah, but. it's for, for listeners, if you're wondering, they're like, no, it was the NBA investigation of Miles Bridges. I know, I know. I was just <laughs> playing a joke at the situation that Charlotte keep finding themselves in. But, um, it, I mean, also in that report, a lot of links to Brandon Miller. I think you've only said there wasn't a person in the gym who didn't think that he was the favorite in the running right now. Um, surprised by that. The online draft community, I think would definitely say surprised by that, right? Absolutely. And like, I, you know, this is something we, we talk about a lot as Hornets fans, but especially on this podcast, because over the years, every rumor that seems to come out about the Hornets from a draft perspective does not, actually come to fruition i mean lamella ball interviewed poorly with the hornets and they weren't interested in him well he's was their third overall draft pick and he is now right. the cornerstone of the franchise uh it was that they were going to trade up to number one for james wiseman and give up assets to do that they obviously did not do that i mean nobody in the universe would have connected them to james book Knight, and nobody thought that they were going to trade up for another draft pick to acquire kai jones in that draft either like the the rumors and what has actually panned out have not necessarily lined up, and I'm not saying that any would anybody has you know bad sources or is lying or anything like that. But I think we with a month to go, especially, I know even if the consensus in the whole gym is that Brandon Miller is the front runner right now, I don't think anybody like really knows where Charlotte is going to land on draft night at this point. I mean, even if they, or they know it's between Scoot and Brandon Miller, like I I don't think anybody has 
a firm answer, even if they may lean strongly one way or another, just because we're so we're so far out still. Yeah. And I do think, you know, Charlotte will know that they are the start of the draft, right? They will Absolutely. be like, I don't think Mitch Kupchak is a massive game player, but I can promise you one thing. I, I don't think he's going to publicize who they're going to take. Because I, I think there's going to be trade back scenarios in play. We already saw Rafael Barlow of NBA big, Draft Big Board. He put in his piece of the day that the Charlotte Hornets are going through their due process and are like are open to talks about trading back, which again links to some of the quote I talked about from Mitch Kupchak's uh, interview following draft night. We talked about Adam Spinella on last week's episode, which thank you for everyone who listened to that, by the way, it's doing very well. Um, you know, that, that still chimes with that. So I think they're going to be keeping this as an open question right up until draft night. Even for anything, it's just to like, if everyone else is unknown, then they, you know, the better trade package they might potentially get. So, um, but is Brandon Miller will be working out for Charlotte. That is obviously was bound to happen. And I'm interested to see when Scoop might be in Charlotte as well. The only downside to jumping up to number two in the lottery is that now whenever the Hornets post those draft workouts, you know, there's not really much for us to look forward to anymore. You know, like last year, they got yeah. we got that one like three days before the draft where it was like the Hornets are bringing in Shaden Sharp for an individual workout and it was like oh my god what are we doing here are we gonna trade up and pick Shaden Sharp is he gonna fall all the way to but I don't think we're getting anything like that this year uh, apart from the the Scoot Henderson Brandon Miller workouts and maybe the Thompson twins I think uh, we're gonna be getting. Yeah first and late first early second round and undrafted well, uh greensboro swarm candidates i don't think agents are going to be lining up one to send their people to charlotte due to the you know off-court perceived culture there but then also like two you've got an ownership situation with flux you've actually yeah. got quite a stacked roster like if you look at the wings uh, the four positions the center position i i don't think there's many agents going oh yeah i can't wait for my camp player to go to charlotte i'm really going to try and get him in there before the draft i I don't see that happening so i think yeah you probably get some maybe like guys who might be because i do think charlotte might look to try and trade up into that 20 range with that later pick you might get a few still like first round guys i think coming in um but yeah i don't think they're going to get many more of these late lottery players but if they if they do look to trade back then maybe there are, and maybe that's a sign if they are working out the Jarris Walkers, the Cam Whitmores, maybe that's a sign that they are looking at. And, you know, that's also part of the process. Teams like to be able to sit down with these guys and and speak to them just because it's good to get intel and insight. Um, So I wouldn't overreact too much, but that's, again, just a further little piece of the puzzle that they're looking to put it together here. All right. Well, let's go speak to Matt. Um, He's going to be joining us after the advert break here. Um, Really great discussion. We go into all the international prospects, basically in the draft, and Matt kind of reveals to us who his favorite. And also the the Scoot versus Brandon Miller conversation at the end. There's a surprise. Uh, one from me, one from Matt in the uh, in the audio. So make sure you you listen to that right to the end, and um, you'll see uh, there are some some things that were said. Let's put it that way, right? Which I think the the fans and listeners find interesting. So. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you after the break. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the All Hornets podcast. This week's draft show, Chase has joined me as always. Also joined by Matt Babcock of DraftDigest.com. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I just got me all excited hearing that NBA draft uh, sound effect. <laughs> Absolutely. The jingle is a great way to start. It's, you get to hear it like one night a year, don't you, on NBA draft oh, night? And uh, that's yeah, that's the sign. It's all it's all kicking off. Um, <laughs> Matt, you're, you're new writer for Draft Digest this year, part of the SI Fan Nation family, which the All Hornets website is also part of. Um, but it would be great to hear a little bit, you know, for people who maybe haven't heard of you before, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into covering, analyzing the draft um, and, and where they can find your content this year. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll try and make a, a really long story as short as possible. But, uh, you know, grew, grew up in basketball. Uh, my, my dad and my two uncles have all worked in the NBA for a really long time and uh, grew up as a player uh, and ended up uh, playing at a Juco in Florida, walked on at Arizona. Uh, right out of college, I uh, 
I, I took a developmental coaching position with Virtus Bologna in, in, in uh, Bologna, Italy, uh, and then um, began working in the sports agency business, became an agent myself and did that for a number of different agencies, including my own company uh, for a little over 10 years. Um, and then uh, just really wanted to get back closer to my roots and, and, and follow my family's footsteps and decided with uh, sort of the approval of my wife to, to kind of make a drastic career move uh, when I was about 30 years old uh, to kind of get back into scouting. And so I was volunteer scouting for Marty Blake and Associates, which was a scouting service that was put together by the NBA uh, years ago. And uh, Marty Blake's son, Ryan, uh, you know, runs it now. And I was volunteer scouting for him and just kind of get my feet wet scouting as I pursued jobs with teams. And during that time, Sports Illustrated contacted me about, um, you know, writing a series of stories about the NBA pre-draft process from an agent standpoint. And just all of it kind of put, came together as far as becoming a scout in the media, just kind of learn how it all works. And uh, did, you know, ran the NBA draft coverage for basketballnews.com for a few years and uh, just recently joined on with, with Draft Digest and uh, essentially you know, doing exactly what my dad does. But instead of doing it for a team, I'm, I'm doing it in the media. So as Matt's just outlined there, uh, some fantastic insight you can offer from coaching to scouting to international overseas. And we're going to be touching on specifically focusing on the overseas prospects in this year's draft. And this is why there is no better person to have on other than Matt. Um, so, yeah, really excited to talk hoops with you. Um, Chase, happy to pass over to you. Yeah. So, Matt, if you don't mind, I just have a quick question before we really dive into it here. Given your experience as an agent, do you think that, like, really helped you as a draft scout now that you're a part of the media because i mean agency agency everything you're there for the early morning late night workouts in the gym or just in the weight room getting stronger getting in shape it i feel like it really helps you get a more of a personal side of a player and evaluation has that helped you like now that you've transitioned into a different role yeah, no, it definitely has. I mean, I think the combination of, of growing up in basketball, you know, essentially having unique access to behind the scenes of the NBA, just, you know, hanging out in my dad's office or getting access to the war room and then being an agent and seeing, seeing the whole, you know, behind the scenes from, from a different perspective, essentially the player's perspective. Uh, I, I just really feel at this point, I've got a pretty good lay of the land, uh, you know, sort of, you know, jack of all trades, versatile, you know, basketball guy, you know, and um, maybe a little bit of a master, master of none, but uh, know a little about a lot. Hey, master of all might be the <laughs> more fitting term. <laughs> so we figured we'd have you on, given your expertise on the international guys, the more popular consensus prospects, probably in the in the mainstream media right now. Bilal Koulibaly, Ryan Repair, James Naji, the three that kind of float in the late first, early second range. Uh, which of those three guys are you kind of the highest on, and how would you project their NBA translation, whether that would be coming being a draft and sash player or just coming over right now after they get drafted next month. You know, I, I mean, I think it's interesting because they're, they're all kind of in the same grouping, right? And they're, they're all very different. And uh, I mean, I think the, the, the two that are closest would be Koulibaly and, and repair because they're, they're wings, uh, but they're still different in my book. I mean, Koulibaly's, um, I mean, recently it seems like he's really filling out physically. He's got the great athletic profile, just an incredible you know finisher, uh, I'm pretty excited about him, you know, having upside as, as a score slasher finisher uh, and, and defensively. And the repair, I mean, really has a chance of being like a special defender and you know, defend multiple positions. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see more uh, development on the offensive end. Um, you know, so I, I think with those two being wings, I'd probably, you know, lean towards uh, Koulibaly. I'm really hot on him. And then Najee's just, uh, you know, your blue collar kind of physical specimen big man right it sort of falls into like the Dwight Howard uh Jalen Duran type type of player where um you know it, it, it's I think his game's pretty simple you know, you know physical rim runner rim protector rebounder just overall you know physicality uh but I mean I think there's there's certainly a place for a guy like that and uh in regards to you know as far as bringing guys over or, or keeping them overseas um I think it really just depends on the team I mean I I personally when I'm looking at the draft I, I would, you know, if I'm a general manager, I would like having flexibility with guys of maybe we don't decide yet. Let's have them come over for summer league. Let's spend some time with them uh, and just kind of figure out a plan of what makes makes the most sense. And uh, I mean, I think there's some some situations where, you know, keeping a guy over uh, if, if you draft him as a first round pick makes sense because you don't start that rookie contract cycle yet. Right. And because I don't I don't think any of these guys are ready to contribute at a super high level. Uh, they're all going to be, you know, uh, developmental projects on, on some level or another, probably for the next couple of years at least. And the reason we picked that that group of three projects specifically for Charlotte is because Charlotte have those picks at 27, 34, 
you know, later on, 39 or like 41. You know, they've got that plethora of picks that essentially with combining those, they can get anyone they want probably from like 20 to 40, depending on what they want to give up. And with like, even though the Hornets are a pretty poor team in terms of level performances past year, they've actually got a bit of a roster crunch situation with the mm-hmm. free agents. And and the idea of the kind of like draft and stash of sorts um, kind of makes sense maybe for this team with that late first round pick. Um, and that, that's why we wanted to speak about these guys individually. But it's interesting you said there, you think all those guys are a little bit further away from contributing next year and maybe trying to give them a year or two more overseas that when they start their rookie contract, they're actually in a place where they can be more ready to contribute. Um, but will some of these prospects, like, will they be, again, from your agent side, will they be looking for a guaranteed contract next year or else they'll pull out the draft? Or are all these three guys definitely in 100%? And it kind of doesn't really matter to them. How, what sort of dynamics could be going on there? You know, I uh, it's interesting. I mean, with these three guys, um, I mean, I, I think they all have a chance or are, are, are you know probable you know first round picks. Uh, I mean, I think especially Kulabali and Rupert are, are looking like they're probably solid to at least be in the twenties. Najee possibly as well. Um, I, I don't have any specific intel on on their their situations. I, 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 my uh, international scout Jason Felipe. Uh, who's based in Italy? He, he kind of uh, I defer to him on a lot of that. We're going to start getting that going here in the next week. Um, but I mean, just on outside looking on in, I would expect these guys would you know for them to come over right away. Definitely would need you know guaranteed contracts, and uh, you know there'll be a international buyout uh, with the two guys contracts as well. Uh, Repair was, if I remember correctly, is part of like the Next Stars program in Australia, um, and so makes makes the negotiation for a second round pick a little bit more complicated with the international buyout included. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I could see it going either way with all three of these guys. Cause like I said, I, I don't think, I don't think any of them are ready to be starters or anything like that. And, uh, but to answer your previous question a little more clearly uh, with the Hornets, Koulibaly probably makes the most sense if you're, if you're looking to continue to build around LaMelo just because of his finishing skills. I mean, you know, obviously having a guy like LaMelo could really set up guys like himself. And then my concern with Najee would be, I mean, you'd have to imagine Mark Williams after what he showed this year, even though the team struggled. I mean, Mark Williams is probably your other you know, building block uh, you know, next to LaMelo. So you know, with both those guys being limited to only playing the five, you know, where's the upside long-term if, if both these guys can continue to develop like, like you hope they will? Yeah. yeah. Especially for the Hornets, I was thinking Koulibaly for myself because the big man market for them is they're probably pretty much out. I mean, mm-hmm. and there's a couple international players that are big men in this class that you would think that in that range, especially where they have a lot of picks, could be a draft and stash investment. But, I mean, if you if you want to consolidate some of those picks and move up for, I mean, Koulibaly or Repair, I feel like that could be like a pretty realistic avenue because, you know, like move sure. up 27 to 22 or 23 and consolidate those picks, alleviate sure. that roster crunch, and maybe still, like you said, keep that rookie contract scale one year in the future. Right. The, the explosion of Koulibaly is really interesting because, I mean, I was looking the the under-18s, the A category – he averaged 17 minutes per game. So it was like a, a part-time player. I read the article, I think it was by Slam maybe, that he grew, you know, multiple inches during COVID lockdown and kind of really grew into his body. He seems like a real late bloomer. And it was interesting. If he wasn't on Victor Wembanyama's team this year, I, like, I don't know if the... Do you think the scouting world will have caught up with him? Or do we think the only reason he's getting first-round buzz is, is because a lot of general managers got to see him and they were able to watch a lot of him and they've been able to kind of get a better handle on on some of the flashes they saw. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely helped. I mean, for me, that that helped. I mean, the first time I ever saw him in person was in Vegas when G League they played the G League Ignite those two games. Um, and so, um, yeah, def- definitely helped because, I mean, there was, you know, all, all eyes were on Victor this year. I mean, and from, from my standpoint, it wasn't even – after the first couple of times seeing Victor, it wasn't even from a scouting perspective. I was just watching him as a fan, watching him shoot these <laughs> – these one-footed runners at the three-point line and whatnot. But in the meantime, we, we got a good grip on, uh, you know, Koulibaly. Yeah. I'm very jealous you got to see that Vegas game. That, that Everyone came away from that being like, this is one of those moments that you had to be there type moments. And no, I'm- it really was. I mean, like I said, I, I grew up in this and you know, sort of uh, you know saw a lot of these guys coming up secondhand, just chasing my dad around and um, never seen anything like Victor before. You know, I, I went in being – being skeptical, not, not necessarily, you know, saying I, I disagree. This guy's not, not a, you know, generational talent. I just want to see it for myself and kind of go into the scouting, you know, with that same approach of like, 
this guy needs to show me, improve me. Not, not I'm not going to just kind of lean on everybody else's takes. And um, I walked away just absolutely blown away, just just like everyone else. Mm. So in your personal board, then, where do you have each of these three guys ranked currently? Um, let me see. Let me pull it up. I, can't, I think I have them all in the first round. Um, I've got Koulibaly going to Sacramento at 24. Um, I've got Repair going to Charlotte at 27. There we go. And then where do I have Najee? I've got Najee going right after him, the, the Utah 28. Okay, so you do have them all in the first round. It's interesting. Chase, which, which one of these three guys, I know you watched some of the film, which one of these three guys stick out to you the most? Bilal? Yeah, yeah. Koulibaly is the highest for me. I have him at 26, so pretty much on par with where Matt has him. Uh, I remember like a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember who it was that said it, but it was, it was an ESPN graphic with him on it. And it was like, I think Koulibaly has like all defense level potential. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if I would go that, that far. It might be a little bit rich, like right at this exact moment. But I mean, I definitely see the vision there. And I, for that reason, specifically, he is the highest. I think I repair, I think. And I, I, I guess I could ask Matt this question. So it seems like over the last couple of years, like when we were, years out from the 2023 draft Ryan repair was billed more as like a bigger guard uh, had pretty good playmaking feel for his size was a point of attack defender switchable through across the couple backcourt positions but now it seems that that kind of has kind of shifted uh, from a mainstream perspective whenever uh, you know draft express posts about him they'll refer to him as a three and D wing like out of the New Zealand breakers or something like that but shooting has not necessarily been his strong suit at throughout the last couple of years of his development, but you could say that he is a pretty good passer and obviously is a very good defender. Uh, I, I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts on how that has shifted over the last couple of years and whether or not I just have a little bit of selective memory about it or something. Yeah, no, I mean, the reason I like him is on the defensive end. I mean, I've got a lot of confidence in his abilities on the end of the floor and, um, you know, and, and I think from an upside standpoint, obviously if he continues to develop as a shooter, it could potentially be a three, three and D uh, type type of player, but uh, I mean, but my my big concern with him is just the the lack of uh, you know dynamic play on the offensive end, and uh, he really hasn't proven to be a consistent shooter just yet. So I, I do think there is some risk of like how much are you going to get out of him uh, as an offensive player, uh, but defensively cer- certainly. I, I mean, I, I think you know you know wherever he gets drafted, I'm I'm, I'm assuming a big part of it's going to be because that team likes his his uh, his abilities on, on the defensive end. Yeah, I have to say, I'm I'm the old one out here. So I have repair 25. Um, I, I, I'm i pretty low on Bilal. I, you see, the, the biggest contrast, and, and this probably goes down to what like, I, value, I value as an evaluator, is feel for the game. And when you watch repair, you see someone who's got passing feel, you know, some pick and roll feel, he's handled the ball. And when I watch Bilal Kulabali, some of the handling and passing instincts are like, probably I'd say some of the worst, not even like in the first round, but but in the draft, like it's very basic. Everything he does, I think I wrote down somewhere that I think something like 70% of Kulali's offensive possessions are like cut transition, offensive rebounds. Um, you know, none of it is self-created or isolated. It's all just like has to be put on a plate for him. Um, and that probably just comes down to like what I value. I always, that's why, you know, I got some like Jarris Walker up at four because I like those guys who have that passing feeling can dissect and stuff like that. So um, but I, I completely understand. I mean, both guys are, are probably a little bit different where Bilal is like a freakish athlete, whereas Repair probably has those like super long, but probably not as bouncy. But it's going to be interesting to track both their progress, really. And I think, like you say, you said earlier, it's where, where they end up is going to be really key uh, in terms of fit and how the teams are able to deal with them and develop them. So it, it should be an interesting one to track here. Yeah, no, I like to piggyback what you're saying there and because I actually agree with what you're saying. And But I think... There's an argument that can be made is that the thing, the way you're describing Kulabali could be looked at as a strength, specifically with the Hornets, yep. because you've got a ball dominant playmaker. And so putting that with a guy that can create offense, I mean, all of a sudden you got a guy with some significant uh, defensive potential and switchability that doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. You know, in certain spots, that that guy makes a lot of sense, and it would serve a lot more value than a guy like Repair. That if he he does tap into his offensive upside, it's probably going to be on ball. Um, which, I mean, you know, if, if you're looking three, four years down the road, is that a great fit? Maybe, maybe not. Koulibaly, absolutely. I mean, how good friends are Koulibaly and Victor? Because if he wants to demand his trade out of San Antonio, then maybe, <laughs> right. maybe, uh, maybe that could have Bilal's uh, stock rocketing here. Um, okay, well, 
Really, really interesting thoughts there, Matt. I appreciate you sharing and good good to get some insight in those guys because I think this acts as a bit of a nudge for me and Chase to go back and watch some film and these guys and some of the clips and synergy, which was which was definitely needed. All right. Why not shift the shift gears to some of these second round guys a little bit here? Uh, obviously, those three we talked about are probably the consensus highest ranked international prospects right now, but there's plenty a little bit further down the board, like Nikola Jurisic, uh, Bobby Clintman kind of counts as both, I would say. He played around, I think, like a little over 600 minutes with Wake Forest this year, but is a, probably the draft. This draft class is unknown uh, coming out of Sweden last year and spending one year at Wake Forest. Tristan Vucevic had himself a Pretty good combine scrimmage there last week. Uh, and there are plenty of other guys as well that uh, have, can go further down the board. But which of those guys are do you, are you the highest on right now? Um, well, who was the first one you said? So Clintman, Vucevic. Clintman, Jurisic, and uh, Vucevic. Uh, I'd say probably Clintman and Vucevic was tremendous at that, that one game um, yeah. in Chicago. I mean, he looked like Dirk out there, just draining threes. <laughs> yeah. And one foot step really back. Did. And it, uh, you know, I mean, you know, him measuring near seven feet and, and showing his ability, even though it was probably – one, one scout I was still with a joke that this is the, the greatest uh, game of his life, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, you really, as a scout, you don't want to, you know, do too much of a knee-jerk reaction on, on a guy having a hot day. Uh, but still, I mean, I can't unsee a seven-footer hitting all these different shots from all over the floor. And so, I mean, I do think his value is certainly skyrocketing. Uh, but, there, I mean, there's some big question marks with him, too. I mean, he's not very physical, um, you know, doesn't absorb contact. Uh, you know, not, you know, not the greatest rebounder, not the greatest defender. Uh, and so, I mean, is, is he somewhat of a one-trick pony and, you know, have a one-dimensional game? Yeah, maybe. Uh, the good thing, though, is it's a seven-footer and his one, his one skill is the most valuable skill in basketball, in my opinion, right? So uh, I, I do really like Vucevic, but there, I do have some questions uh, of, you know, is he going to be able to get to the point you want him to? But we're talking about like a late first, early second-round pick. Um, I mean, I, I really like him. Uh, and Bobby Clement, you're absolutely right. Like, that's – He's sort of the mystery man. I, I caught up with uh, with his agent Mike Tellum in Chicago, and uh, I, I, I said something along those lines of, "You know, he's he's the mystery man. I, I need to see him work out. I'd like to interview him." And he's like, "It's funny that he's a mystery man because he played in the ACC, right?" <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but, uh, no excuse for Charlotte, right? Yeah, he's around the corner from them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, I mean, he he's just so so dang intriguing. Like he he wouldn't he wouldn't surprise me if he was the guy that like went so much higher than everybody's expecting. I think I got him. Uh, you know, like late first, early second. And uh, I mean, could he be this year's like Josh Primo, maybe, you know, where it's just like he's taken so much higher than anybody thinks. But wow. um, this guy's 6'10 and like does a lot of really intriguing things. And so um, it just, that's really why I think he's sort of that guy of like, hey, we need to keep an eye on him because he, 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 you know, takes one team to, to shock us all that he goes a lot higher because he's got, he's got all the tools you want, you know, to, to give him, you know, significant upside. So what is it that, because because fans will be looking at this, you know, the more casual Hornets fans, they'll be looking at, what is it, five points, four rebounds, wasn't mm. even in the rotation for most of the year. What led to that, right? You know, what are the weaknesses that were stopping him getting on the court at Wake Forest? Um, why is he the mystery man? Because there, there must have been something there. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know exactly why he didn't have a bigger role, but I mean, it's just the sample size is small because I mean, you're playing a limited role. I mean, it's hard to see all the tools. Uh, but I mean, if you really break it down, I mean, seeing you know, looking at his physical tools and, and just kind of looking at some of the stuff that he's already able to do, even though he's in a limited role, which I'm assuming naturally would probably have, you know, somewhat of like a short leash and, and probably limited confidence. And he's still able to put the ball on the floor, make some crappy passes. Uh, and just for a guy that's 6'10", um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly like really intrigued and, and we're trying to uh, get something on the books for the next week or so of me to go out to L.A. to watch him work out and, and interview him. Because uh, I, I want to learn more. I mean, he, yeah. he's uh, you know I, I feel like I've got a pretty good grip on on uh, most guys in this draft, but he's one of the guys that like I'm like very intrigued in uh, or intrigued about. But like I, I don't feel like I've got like the full grip on him. I have like the exact same evaluation on him right now. I was watching the Wake Forest Syracuse game, I think from the regular season, and it's like he'll flash some like he'll, like weak side like rim protection rotation helps mm -hmm. in some sort and make like a crazy sh shot block shot for a guy that doesn't play all that much and <laughs> just kind of comes off of the bench and is just knows where to be and then he'll like he makes threes with very smooth release like mm -hmm. that is pretty much unblockable from somebody that's going to also be like a bigger wing like it, the the length and skill and feel combination is just so interesting and i i mean 
there's no way to really confirm this, but you'd have to imagine that the Hornets got a reasonable look at that with Wake Forest being like yeah. literally like less than an hour up the road from them. So yeah, it'll sure. be interesting I hope to see so. how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, once you once you if you're able to go out to LA and see him, you'll have to uh, drop us a message and let us know how that goes because he is he is a very interesting guy here. Um, just just back on Vucevic for a minute, which I thought was interesting. We used to have these like stretch fives who couldn't really block shots but could stretch the floor in the NBA all the time. The Mohamed Okur, the Mike Muscala's of the world. And I was just thinking like that, that kind of like prototype of player really seems to have gone, even though we've gone out in this world of spacing and, and you know, shooting and fives you can shoot, that kind of role really seems to have gone out of the NBA in recent years. And you don't see many of those European big men who would just kind of came in and gun threes, Davis Batons, you know, can't get in a rotation anymore now. Um, it's, it's just an interesting reflection now. Do, do you think like Vucevic projects as that type of player? Like basically if he's not, if he's not stretching the floor for you, he's probably going to be kind of hurting you elsewhere on the defensive end and not doing much else in offense. Is that kind of what you project him to be? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely spot on. I mean, that, that's you kind of took the words on my mouth. Is offensively, I'm not worried about him at all. I mean, he's already at a point now. You could put him in a game and he can yeah. stretch the floor. And it's it's not like this guy's a very like you know rigid like you know uh, mechanical shooter. I mean, he's he's pretty fluid. And uh, so I think he's a versatile shooter, score as a stretch big. So on the offensive end. I mean, it's very clear cut the, the role that he could, you know, earn and develop into. It's all in the defensive end. Is like, you know, can you get him to a point where the coach is comfortable putting him out there? And I think that's that's why, you know, that sort of um, type of player is somewhat of a dying breed just because the game's so much more spread out. If you can't move your feet and, and get a stop, I mean, you're probably not going to play. Anything, anything to finish up with Chase on the international guys in the second round? I don't think so. I think we Matt laid the land for us pretty well, I think. Absolutely. All right, Matt, we're getting on to our, our final, final topic here, which is a a, a hotly debated uh, across the whole NBA, not just amongst Hornets fans, but as you can imagine, the, the passion which is within the Charlotte fan base. Um, what should Charlotte do with the number two new pick? Two pick. We had Am Spinella on last week. He was very firmly on Team Scoop. Um Great to get some of your insight here. Like you said, you were at that Vegas game. You got to see Scoop close up. Um, what are your what's your insight into that debate and where do you fall? Yeah, I mean, first I mean I've seen I've seen both players a ton. I, I know them really well. I know them probably just as well as I do any players in the draft. And um, I, I think, you know, the the cop out answer here is Charlotte's in a very great spot. They're going to get a dang good yes. player. Dang good Thank, prospect, you. Right? Thank you. Thank uh, you. There is no wrong answer here. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, people needed to hear that too. Yeah. yeah so, so like, I, I do have, I do have some, you know, convicted, uh, you know, opinions here because I, you know, I, I had a chance to get to know Scoot personally. Um, what was it several years ago when he was like 15, 16 years old? His family invited me out to Atlanta, where we uh, I went to high school in, in Marietta, Georgia, near near where he lives, and um, really, you know, he, he was a pretty highly rated high school player at the time. Um, but not, nothing like he is now. And, you know, getting to know him and his family and, you know, keeping in touch with them and, and learning about his work ethic and his mindset uh, and, and just to see how his body and his skill sets evolved over the last few years, my, my confidence in that this kid's going to maximize his potential is so high. And so that's something that, like, I don't take lightly when I've got that feeling of a guy that's got sort of like that, that Mamba mentality where it's just you're, you're going to get everything out of him. I think Scoop's that guy. And on top of that, got a lot of a lot of god-given talent too right i mean physically i mean you've seen that guy with his shirt off the guy's built like a tank and uh and he's so dang explosive was he uh, always that way even at 15 was he that thick or is that something that he's like no, he's actually on? i mean he's matured naturally too i mean just yeah. as he's gotten older but yeah no i, I saw the, the the body type i mean back then um you know that, that hey this this kid's gonna be a, a really physical explosive guard um and, and you know having watched him in the g league ignite uh, I mean, I know a lot of people have drawn this comparison. I mean, it really feels like a you know Derrick Rose in his prime in regards to like he's always putting pressure on the defense because uh, he's always in attack mode. Um, and, and one thing I think will be interesting too, you know, coming into the NBA, I do think he's got upside as a defender. I think a lot of times in the G League Ignite, he would lose his focus a little bit because he was so um, so focused on making stuff happen on the offensive end, and, and his usage was really high. I, I do think as he matures and the game starts to slow down for a little for him a little bit. I think his physical tools and his toughness, I mean, he could end up being a pretty locked down defender. He's got these really huge hands. I mean, like he, he's got like Kawhi Leonard type paws where he just he 
pulls up the ball like it's nothing. It looks like it would be like me picking up like a golf ball <laughs> and uh, you know, long arms. And so I think he's got a chance to be a really good defender. Uh, and so if it were me, I would go scoop, even though it's not necessarily the greatest fit with LaMelo as far as being two on-ball creators. Uh, but there's sort of an argument, too, that the way the game's being played right now with all you know sp- spread out, you know, kind of key in three, having multiple um, ball handlers and playmakers could work. I mean, you're, you're pretty much giving yourself an opportunity of really having a, a dynamic offense. I, I do think it needs to be catered to their backcourt in that scenario. Um, and then with Brandon Miller, I mean, how, how can you not like Brandon Miller? I mean, he's a six nine, you know, movement shooter. They also put it on the deck. Um, and as he gets stronger, I think he's going to be a better finisher and al- already like a high level rebounder. Um, so Good problem to have. I mean, pick, pick your point, poison, honestly. It's another vote for Scoot, Chase. Second what, in a row we've what, got here. What, what, what do you guys think? So I'm I'm Scoot Henderson. So I think at this point, especially given the uh, guest surveys that we've had, I think I'm probably in the majority camp, but James is, yeah. a, is a Brandon Miller guy. So I'll, yeah. I'll let him make his case. Yeah. So I've been – I probably had Brandon Miller too since about early February. Um, but this is purely basketball, purely tape analysis. But the the tiebreaker that all these people who are much more linked in than I have about Scoot being over Brandon is exactly the same as what you just said there, Matt, which is, you know, the intel on his work ethic, his approach, his maturity is, and that's not to say Brandon Mills is bad, but his is like, it's the first thing that anyone talks about. And I'm a big believer that that stuff is almost as important as the tape, if not more so. And I'm, you know, if it was just off the basketball tape, I'd have Brandon Miller too. Combine the off the court work ethic. Also like some of the questions that are still out there, ongoing potential court libel cases with Brandon Miller. Like the Hornets haven't exactly got a clean slate of off the court stuff over the past year. That stuff is beginning to add up. And I'm, you know, I'm becoming more convinced by the day that, I just want to take the person that is Scoop, even though, like you said, it is a it is a necessarily clunkier. And this was I was never a take Brandon Miller because it fits better. That's not why I like Brandon Miller. I you know that's just my talent evaluation overall. But that is this is the hardest thing when you don't do the research, you don't get the intel, you know, you're not speaking to the people, which which what you've been able to do. So I, I put a lot of stock into that. So I am uh, let's call me uh, undecided as of <laughs> right now, but I'm well- continually leaning more Scoop. Well, I've got I've got somewhat of a hot take. They'll get uh, get your fan base going a little bit. Is okay. Say 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 they decided to take take Scoot. Right. Here's how strongly I feel that Scoot's the guy that you want to build around. Is if it doesn't work, I would probably look to trade Lamelo and build around Scoot than 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 the reverse of it. That, that's that's how good I think Scoot's going to be. And to your point, is it's the kind of guy like he's a tone setter. And I mean, you know, the Intel suggests that the Hornets' chemistry is not very good. I mean, obviously they yeah. only won 27 games this year. Um, Scoot's presence in the locker room and on the floor, uh, even as a 19, 20 year old, I mean, you feel his presence anytime he walks in the gym. I mean, he it's you know, and I've been around. I was around Kobe a little bit. Spent a lot of time around Damian Lillard at his form. You know, his camp Formula Zero. This kid's got the same kind of approach to to to, to working out to the game, uh, and you just you don't see that very often, you know. And and, and the guys that are like that, uh, you know, usually usually succeed. And so um, that's that's my hot take. Is if it doesn't work, I'd probably be quicker to, to ship out Lamelo because I mean, think about the return you can get if you put a guy like that on the market, right? And so um, you know, I'm sure a lot of fans are would, would flip out when they, they hear this, but it's just you know, from a team building standpoint, I mean, Charlotte's a ways away. Like I I I think they need to do a lot and so i for me personally like, I, I wouldn't overanalyze it and pick for fit at all like go go get the guy that you think is going to succeed and for me that's scoot i think you just I know one thing no go ahead you, James. Just, you just i think i've changed i think i've literally changed live on air right there I, here it is you know you, you you're talking about that you know if you're telling me that someone has the same presence of damian lillard and kb bryant as you walk in a gym i i that's not, I don't think it's an overreaction to, to think that that matters. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, like I said, I've been leaning one way, but I think that is, it's so important. And what you will say, you are right. You, you will rile up the fan base because I've seen other people suggest that. And, but 
I, I you shouldn't rule anything out as an NBA team. I mean, you're not saying that you trade Lamelli tomorrow. You look. At no, no. And, and honestly, I, I think you. Yeah. I think you could make it work. And yeah. I would say that you know, if all else fails, um, you know, I, I think there, there's that, that. That's not in my mind. Like that's not like an outlandish idea. If if two if they draft him in two years from now, it's like, hey, this is not working. You know, what if we put Lamelo on the market? What does that look like? You know, and uh, obviously, I mean, if you did it today, that that's probably jumping the gun of. You know, I mean, Scoot's never played an NBA game before, right? But um, anyway, it's just sort sort of a thought that that I had, just sort of, uh, you know, I, I think um, so, somewhat of a hot take, right? Scoot number two. I'm in. I'm all in chase. I'm I'm shifting <laughs> trains. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be disappointed if they pick Mill, but if you my preference now, I'm, I think I am. I have to say, Scoot. Hey, hey both, both are good. Board. Yeah, and hey, but we know one thing too. We're gonna find out whether or not it works very soon because i mean given everything that matt and any any other report that's come out about scoot they're gonna have to give steve clifford like a 200 percent raise to not play him <laughs> 40 minutes a game with that yeah. type of like defensive mentality and attack mode on offense out of like your lead guard or your secondary guard like he's gonna absolutely love that so we're, we're gonna find out very soon whether or not it's a good fit together so I mean, and that, and that would be if they pick him, of course. But I mean, e- either way, it's, it's going to be it's going to be exciting to find out. For sure. All right. Well, Matt, thank you very much for coming on. Any final thoughts you want to share share with us at all here? No, I think I'm good. I'm. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. You know, the the, the draft really starts at two, right? Start, it starts does. quick, and uh, I'm looking to see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, let the people know where they can find your work, uh, where they can follow you on any of your social medias. Uh, for those who've, who've enjoyed your guest appearance today. No, thank you. So uh, yeah, you can find me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Babcock 11. Uh, my mock drafts on Draft Digest, which is uh, part of Sports Illustrated. Uh, and then check out my podcast, The, the Matt Babcock Show. Uh, share a lot of different stories about growing up in basketball, working in basketball as an agent, as a scout, um, you know, different stories, different philosophies I've sort of put together along the way. And uh, you're talking about the NBA draft. Of course, I'm an NBA draft analyst, so uh, check that out. And uh, next next month, I'll be kind of bopping around, going to individual workouts, meeting with players. Uh, you know, going to create some content, you know, along the way as, as well. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Matt. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care.